0: So on this episode of The Anthony Bradley Show, I'll be presenting some data from a conference that I spoke at on the boy crisis and the church's response. Uh, Boys are struggling in this country. They are falling behind girls on all sorts of different metrics and variables, and they're not faring any better at all in local churches. And I provide some of the context for what it is, but also a long list of solutions And I'd be more than willing and interested in hearing your thoughts and comments on why it is that churches seem to be slow right now in addressing this issue. So in this podcast, it's just me, and we'll be talking about the boy crisis. Thank you so much for joining us for this important conversation. So what I'm going to present today is a run-through of what I presented at a conference the Rudy conference in Kansas City on, on youth ministries. I spoke specifically about the church's response to the boy crisis. As many of you are, are aware, I've been increasingly frustrated with the fact that it seems that churches are doing nothing in response to the data that's now been out for several years about the boy crisis. And I can't really figure out why it is, but uh, this is sort of my attempt to encourage a network of youth workers to do something because I believe that it's really, at a crisis level, if you're a parent, you should be alarmed if you're a parent of a boy. Don't think your son is gonna escape this, it is not going to happen. If you are a parent of a girl, you should be scared to death because what the data shows is that she will likely never get married if these trends continue. So I think everybody has a vested interest in this particular topic. So there is this boy crisis, David Brooks in the New York Times, September 29th, 2022 wrote a piece on it in response to a book that I'll show in just a moment. But finally, finally, the nation seems to be talking about something that many of us have been talking about for at least 20 years. I actually was looking over some slides at a a conference that I did several years ago. I used to travel around the PCA and talk about these sorts of things. And perhaps, not sure what happened, but it seems like churches may have lost interest in this over the years. But I'm, I'm happy to do it again. I realize that i've been talking about this stuff for 20 years a particular topic because i saw this coming i saw this coming when i was in philadelphia in the late 90s and early 2000s i saw that this was a problem and everything that i read back then has come true we are at a major major crisis of both men and boys and i do think we should do something about it these are two fantastic books that i think are absolute must reads no church no parent is going to have a clue about what to do on these issues without these two books in particular if you don't read these two books you're not really stepping into the issue and looking to create really helpful solutions the boy crisis by warren farrell spends most of the book talking about family issues how these things work themselves out in terms of what parents can do of boys and men really also talked about some structural things as well of boys and men is really alarming when you look particularly at urban ministry and what the data shows is that, that urban programs programs directed mainly at low income communities in inner cities primarily benefit women not men and so the men are actually worse off by a lot of these programs and I see that in a lot of the way churches do their urban ministry it really is directed more at women and not men but these are the two books i think an entire church should read this book these books maybe in 2023 read the whole book together as a church this is worthy of a small group series over a number of weeks sunday school whatever church staff should read it your youth staff should read it if you have a youth staff they should read both of these books as well if you're in college ministry you have to read these books it probably explains why your college ministry is mostly women and what you can do about it as well so these are two books i think are absolutely vital Uh, here's how bad the data lays out if you look at the differences between girls and boys right now the idea for example based on the data That sort of the patriarchy is winning and that men are dominating the world particularly in the west and in the u.s that's just not true boys are struggling and we're seeing it work itself out in suicide rates in substance abuse death rates and also in high high rates of anxiety and depression and withdrawal we're seeing that as well for every 100 girls 145 boys repeat kindergarten so this is starting really really early right it's not just like teens are struggling five-year-olds six-year-olds are struggling 168 boys for every girls have communication disorders 180 boys have abused drugs and alcohol 207 boys classified as having a learning disability 318 boys who die by overdose c37 diagnosed with a adhc 240 suspended from school 291 expelled from school 355 boys in public schools classified with emotional disturbance boys over 14 are four times more likely to die by suicide i can tell you right now based on what the data says that if your son is in a public school the public school is against him If your son is in a private school the private school is most likely against him there is incredibly sad data that teachers today have a bias against boys and are much more likely to grade boys more critically and assume that boys are behavioral problems. And so we see this bias toward girls, bias against boys, and it's working itself out both in the academics, but also in their behavioral issues. One, one study in the West showed very clearly that when teachers realized they did a blind grading test and then they did another cohort where teachers knew the gender of the author that when teachers knew the gender of the author of the paper and it was a boy, the boys got graded one third more harshly than the girls. The grades were about 30% worse than the girls. So if you don't think that this is in one sense, structural, you are asleep at the switch it's really 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 bad and as a college professor i can see the long-term results of this when the boys graze in these systems uh, land at school so it has greater implications also later on in life if the struggle begins in kindergarten elementary school middle school high school guess what happens it also has these negative outcomes later on in life uh, men now make up about 40% of college students beginning this fall fall of 2022 20, only about 61% of all entering college freshmen are women that trend is only going to continue up and by the way do not think for one second oh the guys are not going to college because they're going into trades that is not happening High school guys who go, who do not go to college are not going into trades. I want to make that really clear. I hope this mic is working. They are not going into trades, not going into trades. Here's how we know this. Workforce participation rates are down 7% in the last five decades. There are currently 9 million prime age men. That means men between the age of 25 and twenty-four, who are idle. It's not that they're not going to college and becoming plumbers, electricians, and welders. They're not going to college and doing nothing. There is a shortage in trades right now. They can't both be true that guys are not going to college and they're going into trades and we're having a trade shortage. But we can't have both of those be true at the same time, which is why, as you can see, there's 9 million men who are sitting around doing absolutely nothing and economists can't figure out what's happening why it is that they have withdrawn but this is the fact more u.s men ages 18 to 34 are now living with their parents rather than romantic partners now that data has a lot to do with the declining marriage rates but also the declining rates of even dating in general i've seen some footage and some data the guys in their 20s It's rough. It's really, really rough because of the ways in which women who earn more and are more successful are particularly more choosy and men who are not in the top 20% often lose. So guys, we know this in in the data on some of these dating apps like Tinder, for example, that only the top 20% of men on those applications get any sort of engagement, the top 20%. So that includes really a couple variables. They have to be attractive and make a significant amount of money. If you're not attractive, you don't make a lot of money. If you're not six, you know, six feet tall with a, chiseled, with a chiseled face, you're going to get zero engagement. So at least 80% of the guys out of the day market, particularly on platforms like that. So there's something going on right now where men are actually in their 20s, early 30s, just not dating at all. And not really sure on why that is, but that's just a fact. Also, more boys are are now often growing up raised by single mothers, the share more than doubling between nineteen eighty and twenty nineteen, from eighteen percent to forty percent. So we're approaching a scenario where where a large portion of boys are going up without dads actively daily actively in their lives in the home and if people think that that's not going to have negative consequences in the long run again you are asleep at the switch so here are some of the causes of the boy crisis in terms of people trying to figure out exactly what is it that's causing such high rates of depression and suicide you know these guys checking out of workforce kids boys struggling in school i mean think about this boys fall behind girls academically in every subject in every grade in every state in america there's not a single school district there's not a single state where boys are outperforming girls in any subject and this is sort of new so we're trying to figure out why that is here are some potential causes that are being promoted that are being offered in terms of why this is the first is sort of dad deprivation and that can range from dads who are physically emotionally not in the home at all but also dads who are passive that is dads who are in the home but actually aren't fathering their sons they're not connecting emotionally they're not connecting physically they're not connecting spiritually they are passive physically present and that's just about it physically present and. For example, being providers economically, but they're not being providers emotionally. They're not being providers spiritually. They're not being providers in terms of the psychological needs of their sons. Another massive cause related to dad deprivation is divorce. Uh, No-fault divorce, as many of you are aware of, has completely ruined this country and the culture. It's just simply too easy. And people don't are probably unaware of the fact that most divorces are initiated by women, not men. And that has also has some interesting consequences there as well. There's a massive purpose void lost. I mean, if you ask the average 16, 17 year old boy, what does he want to do with his life? He will tell you, I don't know. In fact, When they enroll in college this is why they struggle to choose majors because they have no idea what they want to do and largely because they don't know why the world needs them there's a massive purpose void and if you are a average male in this particular culture we don't really need your strength your physical strength and women have also made it very clear they don't need you to be their husband economically independent they actually don't need you to father children they can go get in vitro fertilization for that so a lot of guys are struggling to know why they are here why their friends and family need them why the community needs them why the marketplace needs them absolutely no idea so there is a massive purpose for what am i here for and because we've been so committed to finding purpose for women in response to discrimination against women Prior to the 1970s, right prior to the 1980s, what's happened as a consequence is we've been mute on giving boys a sense of purpose, and so they're just simply lost. And you can Google "lost boys," and there's a great article in the Wall Street Journal that explains that purpose void as well. You're going to see a major section in that in the "Boy Crisis" book by Warren Farrell as well. Another major issue is destroyed dopamine receptors. And I mean, absolutely obliterated dopamine receptors. And what dopamine does, that's the pleasure hormone, when you're constantly stimulated and you have these constant inputs of pleasure, what happens is that when you don't get them, you crash. And homeostasis doesn't happen when you're constantly bombarded with pleasure and boys are saturated in a world where they're constantly getting dopamine hits from technology they're constantly getting dopamine hits from social media their parents and their churches are feeding them horrible diets so if you combine dopamine from technology dopamine from social media dopamine from the internet in general you could think about dopamine even from pornography plus the dopamine from sugar soda cookies Processed carbs, crackers, potato chips, pizza, all this stuff is destroying these boys' dopamine receptors. And what happens is that when dopamine receptors are overused, in order for the body to create equilibrium, homeostasis, they crash. And the problem is the lows are low. The lows are much lower than they were in the past, just to get that state of equilibrium back. There's a great book by. An Olympic called Dopamine Nation that explains this very, very clearly. So dopamine is a massive problem. We're setting our kids up for failure by giving them too much exposure to technology, social media, and extremely horrible diets. And I really think it's irresponsible for a church, particularly a, a children's ministry, a youth ministry, college ministry, to feed children and young adults lots of sugar and processed carbs. It's irresponsible to do that lastly on the list is alienation and resignation i'll talk about this a little later i've talked about this quite a bit but in but especially because of social media and technology there is a sense of withdrawal and this also relates back to the purpose void because they don't know why they're here they don't know why they're needed they have simply checked out and alienation and resignation means that they're alienated from themselves and they don't have a purpose and so the internet says well if you don't have a purpose we'll take you and you can just sit here and play call of duty for eight hours every couple couple of days or you can get on youtube and just watch an endless stream of four to seven minute maybe 20 minute videos listening to people talk about things that you're interested in or, or, or you could also go hang out on twitch or something like that or adore a Discord group and just talk to random people that you don't know. But the internet provides opportunities for withdrawal to further facilitate the alienation. So there is classic resignation. And the best way, the best way for boys to never fail, to never feel criticized, to absolutely never experience rejection is to n- disengage. And I think that's one of the reasons why we have nine million prime age men who are not working right now. So massive, massive aspect on resignation. I talk about this in a talk, I'll link it here that I gave for focus on the family and the Chuck Colson Center, specifically on why young men are resigned, why guys in their 20s are completely checked out and what the church can do about it. Now, I do wanna make this case that the boy crisis is nothing new. The West in particular, the UK, America, Canada, Australia have really struggled cycles about every century and a half, but really, really struggles to keep boys engaged. And the last time we saw this massive, massive crisis about 100 years ago, 120 years ago or so, it produced the YMCA, the young men's Christian Association was a direct response to the boy crisis of the 19th century. The Boy Scouts, also a direct response to the boy crisis of the early 20th century. Massive, massive problems, and particularly Christians, have historically failed to keep boys engaged. And there's a great book called Muscular Christianity that kind of explains that history. Really, really fascinating. Most churches in America, around 1900, the population was like 89% women. That was sort of the standard in churches across America in 1900, we have this weird nostalgia about you know sort of men in the church and men leading the church. I don't know when that was, maybe back in the book of Acts, but in America, particularly especially after the 1840s, the talented men started to disappear, and what the church was left with were really what we would describe in the social hierarchy data, beta, beta guys, really, really non-ambitious passive, much more people-pleasing sorts of men, were the men that went to seminary beginning in, in the 1840s. And most would argue that really hasn't changed uh, that much. Type A guys tend to not not go to seminary. So this isn't new. I mean, we had the boy crisis cycles. And the question is, why is it that Christianity continues to get this wrong over and over and over and over again? Leon Pottles has a great book i think it's called losing the good portion we give an entire history of how the church has repeatedly failed to keep young men if you have again nostalgia about a time where young men were deeply engaged in christianity i guess maybe in the book of acts maybe jesus and the disciples but that's that's really about it i mean it's really been a a massive massive struggle lots of great books on that as well again there's really really good good data if people are interested in this in particular as i mentioned consistent consistent church failures since the 1840s as the church tried to use emotionalism to get men back you see that was the first and second great great awakenings a lot of sentimentalism as well and this was really fascinating when you look at the historical data theologically right around 1900 protestants subordinated the father to the son and there was a de-emphasis on the fatherhood of God and an extra emphasis on Jesus Jesus as your brother Jesus as your friend and there was an increasingly this interest now in being Christ-centered so Christ-centered that the doctrine of God gets right subsumed uh, so Christ-centered and you saw this with Bart for example as well but so Christ-centered that the doctrine of God or the fatherhood of God is really obscured by this emphasis on the second person of the Trinity why was there such an emphasis on the second person of the Trinity to get men who quote unquote follow Jesus to do something to get them involved in action so there's an emphasis on social justice issues for example There was an emphasis on mission, being a missionary, those sorts of things, right? Getting, trying to get guys engaged. And the God's fatherhood got completely obscured. Now, this did not happen so much in the black church. Here's why. White evangelicalism, historically in this country, particularly as Jesus, as the father, got subordinated to the son, had this emphasis on Paul. So, what white evangelicalism does is it reads Paul and then reconceptualizes the entire canon in light of paul so genesis the pentateuch right even the historical books the psalms of wisdom all that stuff is interpreted through the lens of of paul that's evangelicalism let's take start with paul and then go back and reread everything else the black church does something different the black church begins with moses and uses biblical theology as a way to arrive at understanding the resurrection not through paul but through God's redemptive activity at saving his people, corporately. Moses is the interpretive key, not Paul. And I think if Moses is the interpretive key, then the doctrine of God, the fatherhood of God remains central. If Paul is the interpretive key, then, and, and this is what a lot of process did about 120 years ago. Or so you get this overemphasis on Jesus and the subsuming of the fatherhood of God The doctrine of god also gets obscured in that as well the church also massively failed because the idea it was what young men need is clergy and that repeatedly failed over and over and over again people thinking the solution is getting young guys to pastors that has never worked and it never will work and the main reason is that young men don't respect pastors this is true today about to ask my students to name a, i might do this to ask my students name a man that you aspire to be like and none of them are going to name Are going to name a pastor maybe a couple of them if they want to be pastors the pastors are not the kind of men that young men want to be like they for some reason this really began to, to decline in the 1840s when the kind of men that young boys look to be like were more like men who were excelling in business as opposed to in ministry before the 1840s. If you were a minister, it was really prestigious. That has significantly declined. Something else that has tragically, tragically failed, consistently failed with boys, particularly in the context of church, is using recreation and camps and sports and entertainment to keep guys pulled into the life of the church and ministry absolute abysmal failure and the question is why why is it that churches continue to do something that that we know historically does not work right getting guys to camp doesn't produce long-term sustained faith the merging of Christianity and sports also doesn't work we know right now in the data for example that almost every I'm not sure not almost every single sports ministry created over the last 50 60 years is now primarily about women for example fellowship of Christian athletes currently is a women's ministry it no longer reaches male athletes There's a great there's a great book on that as well that I can link that shift happened to probably around in the 1990s but if you think FCA is gonna reach or athletes in action is gonna reach men you are dead wrong 100% wrong because it primarily reaches women as I mentioned a few moments ago by 1899 according to clifford putney the author of muscular christianity women reportedly comprised three quarters of the church's membership and nine tenths of its attendance So, think about that this is 1899. so this boy christ is the crisis of men and the church is not new and the question is again why does it keep happening and why is it repeatedly unsuccessful by 1889 look at that again Three quarters of church's membership, women, nine-tenths of church attendance, also also women. Lastly here is social justice. This emphasis on social justice as a way to get young men to remain connected to the church also historically fails, fails miserably. And I see it right now. So many, many churches trying to get these young white guys into some wokeness, right? You could describe it this way. To care about racism or all these sorts of issues right black lives matter hashtags on their instagram accounts as a way to get them in get them back in eventually fails what people don't know is that the social gospel movement that began here in new york with walter Washington bush was actually a masculinity movement if you read part of the reason that the social gospel movement was created it was to use jesus as a way to inspire young men to be involved in the life and ministry of the kingdom. And you do that not by focusing on piety and righteousness, but you do that by emphasizing social justice. And so we've seen that repeatedly fail again and again and again. Churches that emphasize social justice are churches, particularly whose men are eventually going to drift, drift away or social justice will become what they believe their faith is about and not the trinity and there are lots of reasons for why that is but that would be a whole whole separate talk so this is what the the resignation is about that i mentioned earlier uh, dr karen orne she practiced psychiatry here in new york city and she described particularly what happens with men who resign Again, back to the data, you looked at the data in those first couple of slides, boys struggling in academics, men not participating in work, men not going to college, massive amounts of alienation and resignation. Dr. Karen Orney explains that this really extends out of basic anxiety, which is one way to talk about the insecurities that men have when they are becoming young adults and it's simply a way to to reference that everybody has insecurities and the question is how do we deal with them we all come from imperfect families and because of that we all have deep deep insecurities and the question is what do you do with your insecurities and what karen orne describes in her research and i can link this book as well you essentially are going to Project those onto others it's called a self expansive solution. This often gets conflated or confused with type A guys who are very driven uh, they're driven to succeed because one way to cover up insecurity is to win and we saw that especially with some older generations. we saw that particularly with some millennials, but like winning and being on top was pretty key. The other one is the other way to alleviate, to alleviate insecurities is to become a doormat and become a people pleaser one way to make sure that you're always in good standing with with other people is to always be trying to please them so people pleasing became a massive massive problem for some this third one here that i have before you is dr Ornay describes as resignation this is the reason we're seeing nine million men who are checked out of the workforce while we're seeing massive massive amounts of guys who are not going to college. Self resignation. They are just completely checked out. What does it turn into? Life is about evasion. It's called defensive detachment. There is this sense of presenting themselves as aloof and not really connected to what's going on. They don't know what's going on in politics and what's going on in, in other parts of the world. They don't know what's going on in their families, their towns. They just like well, I don't I don't know. And it's this really tacit sense that I am self-sufficient. I don't really need anyone. I don't need to be participating in the system with the man, with everybody else. I'm a self-contained person. And by definition, I don't really need anyone else. And I don't want to be influenced by anyone. I don't want to be tied down to anything. And any form of relational intimacy is understood as enslavement. I don't want to get married. Why not? That's prison. I don't want to commit to a long term job, career path. That's imprisonment. Uh, and so, what we're seeing right now is massive, massive amounts of checking out because people don't want to get tied down to things. A distance and separateness are the only source of security. I am an independent, free person. When I keep everything at a distance from me, I don't let anybody or anything get too close because if I let something get too close, it might control me. I want to be controlled by anyone or anything. I often hear it this way. I don't want to work for anyone. I don't want to be accountable to anyone. I don't want to have anyone to tell me what to do. And what's really damaging about this resignation, this life as evasion, is we see it with a lack of what it turns into says Dr. Orney's work is at least a lack of ambition. A lack of motivation, a lack of self mastery. It's really fascinating and sad when you find a young man who does not want to be good at something. Uh, even little boys, they want to be good at something, right? Good at riding a bike. They want to tie their shoe on their own. They want to. They want to do things without adults helping. So one example I always give is uh, if a kid knows how to tie a shoe and then an adult bends down to try to tie the shoe, the boy will say, "I can do it." I don't need your help i can do this on my own but there's something happens in a boy's life where he loses his ambition and he loses motivation and this is one of the problems with resigning into the internet it's one of the problems with having your dopamine receptor destroyed by sugar is that processed carbs and sugar and video games and pornography And constant, constant dopamine release in your brain destroys motivation, absolutely obliterates motivation. So, a lot of the anxiety and the depressor we're seeing is connected, it seems to me to be connected to dealing with insecurities, dealing with the anxiety of being disconnected by just checking out and saying, I'm out and resigning from it. So, as I said earlier, the best way to never be rejected. The best way to never get fired, the best way to never have anybody give you any criticism is to withdraw. One of the things here you see in the slide that those who suffer from resignation, they dread finding flaws within themselves or of making mistakes. So one way, again, to not have your flaws be exposed and to not make mistakes is to not take any risks, to not do anything new, dangerous. To not do anything that requires ambition or motivation and i can't tell you right how many ask a high school girl what she wants to do with her life she's going to have most likely have an answer ask a high school boy he might just say something to have an answer but if you ask him well how are you going to get there he will have no plan and one of the things that i hear particularly in sort of christian space from high school guys is they'll say something like this i just want to make enough money to provide for my family which to me is so lame and non-specific. You I mean all these problems are in the world? There are all these opportunities in the world for you to be salt and light and to do something. And you, there's nothing specific that you want to get involved in. To me, that's a massive failure. I think both of schools and home and, and church to have an 18 year old be clueless about the space in which he should he wants to step in and make a contribution to you that. La- it means, in some sense, that he lacks agency and self-advocacy which madeline levine talks about in her book the price of privilege self-resigned guys are basically have a sign up that says do not disturb leave me alone they have a dread of needing others a dread of being tied down a dread of being close to people a dread of being of love asking of them to commit to things and if parents think oh my goodness i seems like my son's withdrawing well, he is he doesn't want to need you what doesn't want to be tied down and making commitments long-term and short-term commitments really does tie people down that could be learning a trade and a vocation long-term commitment going to college long-term commitment moving out of the house long-term commitment and again the best way to avoid any criticism the best way to avoid being reproached, is to withdraw why do we have nine million men currently not working sitting idle wiser than most high school guys no longer want to go to college even and by the way working class middle class communities why is this the case boom they've resigned and that resignation has a lot to do with the homes they grew up in but also the motivation networks that they provide it's just really really sad you got a whole community whole generation 15 16 year olds who don't have any ambition no motivation and no desire to be good at anything because they don't know what they can be good at other than in some communities being an athlete or being a social media influencer or something like that so i've done something strange and instead of of using nostalgia to talk about these issues for me i care about the data What does the data actually say? And what I find in so many churches, and this to me just absolutely boggles my mind, is you'll have adults who will execute ministries based on this model, which I think is completely irrational. This is what was good for me when I was a teenager, therefore we should do it now. That to me makes absolute zero sense. So this is this is what was good for me in the nineteen seventies, eighties or nineties, or the I guess today you could even say early two thousands, depending on the age of your church. Therefore we should do it now. That to me is dumb. It doesn't fit the current generation's actual what the Germans call Zitzenleben, which is their situation in life. It doesn't it does has nothing to do with the sorts of issues that they're wrestling with. They're dealing with whether context is right now today. And the world of your teenage years in the nineteen nineties is completely irrelevant to the teen context today. And if you're in a church that just is doing youth ministry in the exact same way that it was done in the 1990s and you are failing your children, here's how we know this, because the data is really, really clear. Book by Christian Smith and his co-author last name, Adam Zeich, A Handing down the Faith 2021 publication. I can link this book as well, really clear. Myriad studies show that beyond a doubt, the parents of American youth play the leading role in shaping the character of their religious and spiritual lives even well after they leave home and often for the rest of their lives. Furthermore, this parental influence has not declined in effectiveness since the 1970s. Now, if you read the book, they make it really explicit that it's not church, it's not youth ministry, it's not Christian schools, it's not any of those things, that when you look at the causal relationship in terms of what, why it is that boys persist in their faith, it's bottom line, parents. So because I'm data-driven, I'm curious in what churches are doing to equip parents to do this sort of work because they're the only ones, I, will, I, will, I can say this strongly on, on, on the data, in terms of addressing the boy crisis, the parents matter more than any program at the church. The pastor is not going to change this. Getting some 23-year-old youth pastor is not going to change this. Getting a bunch of volunteers to hang out with a bunch of high schoolers, that's not going to change it. What's really going to change these outcomes is equipping and strengthening parents, period. So here's a question I have. If you care about this issue, if you're actually data-driven and not nostalgia-driven, what is your church doing to equip parents to model and shape walking with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through anxiety anxiety? insecurity failure and struggle that's the question and if your church is doing something specifically for parents because they are the causal variable in sustaining the faith of pre-teen and teen boys into early adulthood then you're doing great if your church is not doing something specifically and explicitly to equip parents to model and shape what it means to walk with the triune God through anxiety and insecurity and failure and struggle, your sons will end up being like those statistics. I what the data says. I wanna be wrong, but I, this is what I see. I I live, I live in this world and when I'm around college guys, I just connect the dots. Why is it that I see this? Go back and connect the dots. It's about the parents. And we think it's about the church i think pastors a lot of pastors are pretty arrogant about how important they are and how important their churches are and how important their church programs are they're not that important what's really more important and we see this from deuteronomy chapters 4 to 6 etc is the parents and i think parents have been sidelined by a lot of churches and we're seeing some of the negative outcomes there so if you're not equipping your parents to model what it means to a lot with trying god through anxiety insecurity failure and struggle you are setting up your sons to be a statistic in the boy crisis. This is part of the solution. A fantastic book by Michael Agurian. In fact, he has a lot of great books on this issue. This this one I picked up a long, long time ago called A Fine Young Man. He sort of walks through the stages of adolescent to grown man formation. And again, I've Said this for years if you're in a context, a school or a church that's not actually on purpose changing its ministry practices to match how boys mature in the stages of becoming a man, you're not really helping them. And this is why the programs of nostalgia continue to fail. No one's looking at the data. What boys need late elementary school to early middle school, the high school years, those college years are radically, radically different. And if you're programming, if everything that you're doing is not, is not pivoted to that, then you're missing them. So emphasis is going to be on on identity, autonomy, morality, greater levels of intimacy, growing all of those up. And here's what the data shows girls are different. So if you have boys and girls in the same program, in middle school, high school, college, you're going to miss the boys, because the boys need something actually different than the girls. And if your church and if your college ministry high school ministry isn't doing something uniquely different and specific for the boys you're going to lose them so don't blame the boy he's not rebelling what's happened is that his own needs aren't being met i've never been like oh my gosh these guys are are walking away from all the good things that the church provides them no the church is not doing a great job of actually providing what they what they need because this nostalgia model is in place or the model is actually about girls and they don't really realize that. So what, what are churches doing to build young men's identity, autonomy, morality, and intimacy? Uh, that book does a, a really, really great job of explaining what some of those things are. Again, back to Handing Down Faith by Christian Smith and Amy Zeich. I think that's how you, how you say that i want to make this really really clear i don't want to be too offensive to anyone but the main variable and this should make sense we see this model in proverbs chapters one to five as well Uh, the main variable in transitioning teen boys into adulthood and sustained faith as young adults is the father intimate affectionate joyful relationships with their fathers this is what forms faith fathers form faith the data shows this repeatedly that especially especially in middle school high school the fathers are forming the faith and it's not that fathers are forming the faith by being sort of teachy. But fathers are forming faith by being affectionate by being intimate with their sons by being a place of joy that's what forms faith when a teenage boy is around his father and he is frequently in tears laughing that is what forms faith when a teenage boy is around his father and they are having extremely vulnerable and intimate conversations that forms faith when a teenage boy is around his dad and his dad is hugs him a lot right comforts him when he's stressed out this is what forms faith right in the first chapter of this book christian Smith makes it really clear that the role of fathers is especially important in forming children religiously now this does not mean that moms don't have a role at all but it does mean says the data that father's role is unique and it's different and it has a causal relationship to faith formation in kids that mothers do not there's a pastor in illinois name is jeffrey hemmer he has a great book called man up and i did a podcast with him you can listen to that podcast and the data that he found there's a, a study that showed that one of the most causal variables in children having their face sustained into their 20s is kids growing up watching their father sing in church why is that well because kids get excited about whatever their dads get excited about that's just a fact think about how the power of a father to shape his son's interest in almost anything. Uh, Fathers are the ones who make their son sports fans of teams that the kid never heard of, can't spell. Fathers make their sons fans of college football schools the kid hasn't even gone to. The kid is not an alumni of Alabama or Michigan or Ohio State, but the kid's eight years old and is a huge Michigan State fan. He's a huge Penn State fan. He's a massive Alabama fan, Auburn fan, Mississippi fan. Why is that? Because the dad formed that. The family formed that. And it should stand a reason that in the same way that a dad can make a boy a fan of a sport, the boy that wasn't born a baseball fan, but because his dad loves the Yankees or the Braves or the Mets, or the Padres, the boy does too. So fathers have an especially important role in forming faith religiously. And it seems to me that churches completely either don't care about that, ignore that, or don't believe it. And to me, the fact that a church would put a wedge between a dad and a son in the form of a youth pastor, to me, is a bit egregious. Now, this is also based, I think, in part because people don't realize that, again, it's not 1980. It's not 1970. It's not 1960. And teens are not rebelling. There's no such thing as teen rebellion in this part of the 21st century. It just does not exist. Teens and their parents basically live the same lives and share the same worlds. They dress the same. They use the same product. They consume the same products. If a teenager were to rebel today from adult culture, especially a teen boy, what would he do? He would not have a cell phone. He would dress really well. He would probably wear suits most of the time. He would dress with his shirts tucked in. He would wear clothing that, that fits. Instead of having a, an entertainment room or like a sports den, he would be reading books more than he would be watching sports. So this idea that teens are rebelling today is really, really fallacious. And Smith's book really explains the micro data behind that. And so again the fact that you think that you need to have someone interpret the intersection between faith and culture and translate that for teens other than the teens parents to me is just completely dependent on a paradigm and a reality that no longer exists it is not 1975 85 or 1995. those days are over and this is also true i want to say this and if this is controversial let it, let it be there are so many churches who mistakenly and I think I think arrogantly so foolishly so tell parents that their children are their disciples I want to make this really really clear that there is not a single verse in the Bible at all no not even one that frames parenting in terms of discipleship so what a lot of evangelicals have done especially the revivalistic types who believe that everything is about discipleship what they've done is they've taken something good i think they made it to an idol they've taken discipleship they've elevated it above its role and then they force that onto everything they make all relationships about discipleship as if if we just had discipleship then we wouldn't have any problems discipleship is not a model for parenting at all which is by the way i believe the bible never ever frames parenting in terms of discipleship your children are not your disciples your children are your children and this is the problem remember this is the problem with subordinating the father under the son because if god's fatherhood is the model instead of talking about discipleship which is the jesus model with his his disciples if god's fatherhood is the model then you're actually orienting parenting around god's relationship to israel you're not talking about parenting in terms of jesus and the disciples and the bible talks about parenting in terms of god's relationship to israel and so churches who form parenting models around jesus and the disciples you're actually undermining the opportunities for your sons to have sustained faith because they need God's fatherhood so what's your church's theology of fatherhood you can't address this issue unless you have first have a very clear theology of fatherhood and you are not going to have a theology of fatherhood if you think discipleship is what parents should be doing with their children That it's just absolutely, absolutely insane that you would tell a father, even with his daughter, that a father, that his daughter is his disciple. Do teachers cuddle with their disciples? Do they hug them? Are they immensely vulnerable with them? Do they stay with them their entire lives? Absolutely not. So I don't know where this came from, but it is certainly unbiblical, 100% unbiblical to, to call children disciples. Of their parents so I think for a lot of dads if they actually treated their sons as sons in the same way that God fathered Israel in the same way that God treats them as sons and not disciples I think we might have some different outcomes where in the Bible do you see discipleship about having fun deep connection a lot of time spent and etc one of the things you read in the Warren Pharaoh book and the boy crisis is the importance of roughhousing. Again, this is why this discipleship model does not work because dads have to roughhouse with their sons. You'll see this in the book. The data indicates this really well that dads who roughhouse with their sons have sons who struggle less with porn addiction and video game addiction, and their sons are much better at delay gratification. So, roughhousing is like magic in terms of forming young men and making them successful. That is not a discipleship model of like teacher, classroom, rough housing, that doesn't fit. After the age of 14, what boys increasingly need from their fathers is less teaching. So this idea like the, the dad, you know, sits his, his kids down and they did the catechesis and he, he's leading the Bible, so, you know, all that kind of stuff, which is good, not bad things, but you have to change that when the kid gets in high school. What that boy needs in high school is much more the dad as a sage figure rather than this teacher. More wisdom, more affection. This is what drills down and sustains faith. This is the intersection of wisdom and affection, which by the way, is the exact model that God presented with Israel. Uh, wisdom and affection. So the question, another question is this uh, What is your church doing to create? vulnerable, non-teachy, because what the data shows is as soon as dad gets at home and he turns into teacher mode, disciple mode, turns the boy off. And then we wonder, how come the where where are they? How come a boy isn't excited about the Lord? How come how come he's not really in a church? Well, the model that you're using, this discipleship model, is actually working against what you want. You know what works for it? Affection, joy relationships joyful relationships between fathers and sons that's what works so here's the question what is your church doing to create vulnerable non-teaching affectionate joyful relationships between fathers and sons a teenage boy's memory when he goes to college he should miss his dad's laughter he should miss his dad's affection he should miss his dad's vulnerability what he should really miss right Is the connection of the relationship and how faith is transmitted and sustained is the intimacy that is forged in the context of joy now it's so fascinating because this is the exact model of god in israel right this is what the bible teaches we see this in the psalms for example as well that having joy in the lord right is what we want well the same principle applies if god the father is the model. So if your church isn't doing anything to create those relationships, do not be surprised when the kids go to college, join a fraternity, and drift away. Just do not be surprised at all. Also, true that not in addition to boys needing their dads, they also need a mentor. And I want this to be as controversial as it possibly could be. Every boy in your church needs his own individual mentor. And if you think a youth pastor has the capacity to do that you are dead wrong and i have a whole stack of books behind me that talk about the importance of a boy having a mentor and parents have to be involved in this right this is what some of the data says all boys need an individual personal a faith mentor now the christian tradition used to have this it was called the godfather So at the boy's baptism, they'd be the parents and the godparents. And one of the one of the roles of the godfather was to be that spiritual coach in addition to the parents. Every boy needs his own individual coach, spiritual director. Steve Biddlef, in this book, Raising Boys, which is on its third edition, over a million copies sold, says that parents have to ensure that mentoring happens. To mature, boys need multiple adults who create and maintain a safe emotional container for the boy from age 14 forward the boy needs input from male mentors if he is to complete the journey into being fully grown up now if your son is involved in sports he naturally has this with coaches but if your son is not involved in sports he does not have this and if you think dropping him off at church on wednesday night or sunday night is providing this You are dead 100% wrong so from age 14 on what boys need is to be included in the world of men, they don't need to be isolated from their peers and one of the frustrations that my own students have is they they felt that they were too isolated from the adults in the church. I sat down one day and just asked my students to explain to me some of their frustrations with youth ministry and lots of nods went up when one student said too much isolation from the rest of the church. They actually don't like it. If you have a men's retreat, the teenage boy should be there. The idea that you would have a retreat just for teens makes zero sense. Biblically, absolutely none. Doesn't make any sense whatsoever because that's not what they need. It might've been helpful for you in 1998 granite might have been helpful for you in 1986 granite it might have served you well in 2002 great but that's not what they actually need and just because it helped you doesn't mean it should be programized or or expanded so i want to make this really clear and if this is controversial then so let it be if your church has 10 boys then you need 10 mentors if your church has 20 boys, you need 20 mentors. Each boy needs his own mentor. If the church is not providing this, you're not helping the kid out. And you're like, well, where are all the mentors? Well, your church is full of men, <laughs> who, by the way, are often doing nothing because they don't, they don't know what to do either. For most churches, uh, men's jobs are to work the soundboard, fold chairs, do some cleaning, maybe work the parking lot, be usher, stuff like that. But in terms of spiritual formation life for the church, not a lot of activity there. But every single boy needs to be hooked up with a someone not his dad, typically someone his dad's age or older, as a mentor. Every single boy. One to one. Not one on 15. Not one on 12. I mean, Jesus had 12 disciples. And for some reason, people think, thinking, especially these large churches, one youth pastor with like 100 kids and like 15 volunteers, and you think that's enough? That just makes zero sense. Well, the data is really, really clear. If you want your boy, you want your son to have same faith, he's got to have somebody else in his life speaking directly into him. And every boy needs one. So if you're in a family, you got three sons, they need three mentors. I don't know how else to say it. So here's the question. What is your church doing to pair every team with his own personal, individual, spiritual mentor in the church? The data says Christian Smith has been talking about this for probably 15, 20 years, right? And again, 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 all this data is out there, and churches are doing nothing in response to the data and perpetuating these models, these nostalgic models that do not work, and then we get surprised when the outcomes are the same. Raising church they go off to Auburn, join a fraternity, drift away. And you're like, well, how did that happen? Every boy needs a mentor. If your church is not providing this, you're not helping them in terms of what they actually need. This is what the, the data says. Boys are also desperate to get some practical skills. And one of the things that I've been really surprised at uh, lately is just the number of boys who are trying to get practical wisdom on YouTube. And they're using these influencers to get really practical skills. And what they don't get at church, even at home, is what Christ has to do with everyday stuff. How to get a job. um, How to flirt how to get an attractive girl, how to dress, how to look good, how about their hair, their clothing, how to socialize. The number of boys, young men I know who have social anxiety, that is they walk in a room and don't know what to do. And no one has taught them this for some strange reason. They want to know how to work out, how to stay healthy, how to gain muscle mass, right? They want to, to be men of, 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 they want to be physically fit. Really fascinating. In the 1960s, I've seen some some video footage of the president encouraging the nation to get physically fit, and it introduced itself into the school system where there was PE, and we had to take a physical education exam. I remember having to do that. But guys want to get fit. They want to be healthy. They want to eat right. They, they want to know how to fix things. They really want to know how to fix things, how to do plumbing, how to do car, light carpentry work, right, even work on cars. Who is Who in the church is teaching them how to do this? So what, we, what do we do instead? We bring the boys at church for entertainment, right? And then we feed, think about this. We feed them sugar, processed carbs, and then we entertain them for an hour, hour and a half, and then give them 15 minutes of a talk. And then we we wonder why they walk away when they're 20. To me, it makes a lot of sense. They want to know how to make friends. They want to be people of influence. They want to know how to manage and invest money. They want really practical skills, and the church is not giving them practical skills. And then we get mad at them when they listen to Jordan Peterson or when they listen to some of these other people I have pictured here, like Andrew Tate, Hamza, Ahmed, for example, has a million followers, mostly between the age of 15 and 18, mostly high school guys, and he's just teaching them how to be men. Hamza is in the upper right-hand corner, and this is his platform. He's gained a million subscribers by focusing on these things. Stop watching porn, stop playing video games, getting off of social media gratitude journaling meditating right things like that this is how he's built his platform and he's teaching them really practical skills when you meet a girl say this this is the kind of stuff they want to know but they're not getting this kind of stuff at church so they're on youtube trying to get it down in the bottom right hand corners tom merrick he's the bodyweight warrior really great guy does great things in terms of physical fitness they're not learning physical fitness from the men at church why not so he has hundreds of thousands of subscribers because young men are trying to figure out how to do stuff and they can't do it for the men in their lives because it's not being provided for them they want really practical skills and the church is not providing that one iota for them and this last guy here here at the bottom actually forgotten his name He's one of these influencers in the self-improvement movement there's a massive self-improvement movement right now with young guys and he's the christian he's one of the christian guys in this space and his particular theology is absolute trash it's rubbish so these guys are going to youtube to get all this content and they're not because they're not getting a church so don't complain don't complain that they like jordan peterson when that kind of content The men in the church aren't giving them which by the way is why they need a one-on-one mentor so they can have that conversation in a safe place in private that's not embarrassing to them to even ask some of those some of those questions if they can't talk to those things with their dad so again this is what hams is doing he has this online book and this is october when i captured this a few weeks ago he has two million views on his little online book targeting mostly, mostly young men is Hamza Ahmed, look him up on YouTube. And this is the stuff he talked about taking action, being a man of responsibility, taking care of your mental health, being physically fit, removing addictions out of your life, being productive, having social skills and relationships, making sure you have a purpose in life. I talked about the purpose void a minute ago. He's going to talk about how to get some purpose in your life. And I watched him because he gets about a thousand followers subscribers a day. I've watched him over the last few months go from about fifty to a million subscribers in just a few months. This video has 2 million views. I want to be dead clear on this. If churches were teaching this stuff to young men, your churches would be full of young men, but because churches are not doing this at all, they're not there. And this is why. And again, this is not a Christian movement. It's a self-improvement, personal development movement, because guys want to be, there's a population of guys who want to be better, but they don't know how. And getting a bunch of kids to church to give them some sugar, some carbs, some pizza, soda, and a skit, and a 15-minute talk about purity culture and something else, that's not this. So we are massively, massively dropping, dropping the ball on this. So the one thing that, that we know from all the data, I've got a ton of books on this, right? And this is why the church is this nostalgia model gets it completely wrong. One of the things that preteens and boys need is not fun from their churches. They want challenge. They want things to be difficult. Right. What grows us is discomfort and adversity. And churches are not providing that. You know what they're providing coddling. This is why when a boy shows up at church, it, he has a, an array of sugar and carbs to access because he's being coddled. Teen boys want to be challenged physically, intellectually, and spiritually. When I asked the college students about their critiques of church life, and by the way, this is the entire freshman class, a couple of sections I asked them this, these are some of the things they said. The teaching is too surface level, it's not deep. Number two, They complain, listen, this too much entertainment. They don't like it. And again, this nostalgia models think, well, I liked it, so therefore we should keep doing it. That completely, completely is irrational. Too much entertainment, too much fun. They assume the kids aren't intellectually developed. Also a major, major critique. So teaching them really basic things instead of teaching them above their grade level. So, if I was teaching high school students, I would be teaching them as if I was teaching people in their 20s because you need to up-level the teaching. You need to teach them about where they're headed, not about where they, you think they are or where, or where they've been. They really, really com- complained about low-quality teaching. They really complained about low-quality teaching. Uh, one student said, he complained that we got the pastor's son and lots of nods like, yeah, it was horrible. Right, This idea that, oh, the pastor's son is going to be a good teacher, that's completely pathetic. Now, here's why the, the low-quality teaching is it stands out to them. A lot of them are in really good schools. A lot of them are being homeschooled. They're in good private schools. They're in great, great public schools. They're in honors classes. And then they come to church and get Sesame Street teaching from the youth pastor's son. And the disparity between the intensity they get at school and what they get at church is so great they check out. And they absolutely don't like it. They want to be challenged. They don't want it to just be a bunch bunch of fun and entertainment. So again, we saw this back in about 120 years ago. The entertainment focus doesn't work. It gets bodies in the building, but it doesn't sustain faith into their 20s. The long-term outcomes prove that the entertainment coddling model of sugar and processed carbs and skits and games does not work. Camps, things like that. That's not what works. It's interesting that if you look at the way Jesus taught his own disciples, it wasn't through games and sitting in chairs and skits. It was teaching through action. So one of the things that one student complained about and I have it in bold there, is not, they want this, right? He said this, that we are not being put in, in circumstances that teach theologically rich content. Now think about that. They want to be put in circumstances that force deep theology. Now, that requires two things one, that the community puts them in that circumstance, and secondly, that the theology is actually deep and rich. Fascinating. Again, this is exactly what Jesus did with his disciples. He put them in incredibly difficult circumstances, not fun circumstances, not coddling circumstances, but difficult circumstances, and then taught them out of that. That's what they actually want. Also, an emphasis on the need for initiation and testing into adulthood. I'm intentionally not using biblical masculinity or manhood because those terms are not necessarily helpful in this discussion, but I am focusing on them becoming healthy and thriving adults. And there is an absence of church communities having a process where young men between the ages of 12 and 18 are entered into a testing phase where they are made aware of the gifts that god has given them and how to use them for the community so it goes something like this but men in the church take the boys away spend time with them allow them to test themselves be initiated into what it means to be an adult and then they bring the boys back to the community to serve it to be a benefit to others so the title of my book on fraternities is Mask is heroic fraternities and what I mean by heroic is using your presence, your power, your creativity, et cetera, for the purpose of benefiting others. And boys are not taught in most churches how to use their power, presence, and creativity, et cetera, to benefit other people right? because they're, they're coddled a bit too much. So here's another question. What does your church do to put boys in situations that they find incredibly hard and challenging to teach theology. And getting them together on a Sunday morning in a room with a bunch of donuts and and orange juice is not doing that. Again, getting them on Wednesday night, Sunday night in a room to play a bunch of games, that's not doing that. What they need, and I got a whole stack of books back here that explain this, what they actually need is difficulty and challenge and adversity. This is what teaches. This is exactly the model that God had with Israel. It was in the context of their difficulties that they learned about God. The disciples learned learned about Jesus. They learned about God in difficulty. And then what do we do? We teach, we believe that we can coddle them in nothing but ease and comfort and then develop them theologically. Guess what? They don't even like that. But again, that nostalgia model thinks, oh, we should continue to, to do that. So. I don't want to belabor that point much longer, but they want to be in hard situations, and if it's fun, you're failing them. If it's difficult, then you're you're definitely on onto something there. So the question is again, what is your church doing to introduce them to difficult and challenging situations? The data again, I cannot be more clear on why you have to be data driven and not nostalgia driven. Great book by Dr. Michael Reichert explains. That not only do they need their dads uh, not only do they need a mentor not only do they need difficulty but they also need a strong sense of self-confidence and one of the things I've learned over the years uh, teaching at a Christian college is that the boys who come to school with a high level of self-confidence are the most wise and the most free to practice moral virtue it's not about if they can, no apologetics. It's not about them going to a leadership camp. It's not about them having been exposed to a missions experience for two weeks in Jamaica where they paint a school. That their ability to make good decisions, wise decisions, consistent with the book of Proverbs, their ability to do exactly what Colossians 3 says and Ephesians 4 and 5 say is whether or not the boy has self confidence. Why is that important? because he needs to be able to endure the consequences of doing the right thing, even if those consequences mean being rejected by the group. And self-confidence allows a boy to not have anxiety about being rejected from a group because he knows that he's doing the right thing because God, his father is approving of him and God, his father at home is approving of him and his mentor is also approving of him. So he has a great cloud of witnesses to confirm that he's doing the right thing. So he is free to make the right decision. If they don't have self-confidence as the waves blow, they will fall and they will simply go with what the group says. So self-confidence is important to build. It's significant, it's vital. And I'll say it this way, again, strongly controversial, if so need be, if a boy graduates high school without a strong self-confidence, he was failed. Failed in institutions, fell at home, in the church. If he graduates high school and doesn't have a strong sense of self-confidence, something went wrong. Why is this? Because all the way back to basic anxiety, everybody has some insecurities, everybody. And we know that boys and men really struggle with feeling inadequate. And what we do as men is we cover up our inadequacies with all sorts of things. Success, money, clothing. Athletic performance, women, we cover up the fact that we have inadequacies by distracting people from it by posing as something we're actually not. We know that boys are vulnerable to feeling inadequate because they are shamed constantly. One of the things that is currently true in our culture is that being male is by definition toxic. And elementary schools implicitly teach this, it's in movies and television right now. It's everywhere. Boys are constantly shamed for being a boy, and so there's got to be a community and a context that shows them that they actually are the kind of men that God wants them to be, and they can be. It's one of the reasons why I think accountability groups are absolutely the worst thing for high school boys to be in. These are typically groups of shaming, where they come in and they talk about their inadequacies and their failures, rather than what God is doing in and through them which is the focus in terms of what the bible teaches us to to think about and focus on it's not that we don't acknowledge those things but have a group for the sole purpose of having boys talk about their failures is shaming and the reason i know this is that i've never in my life ever ever heard of a church where women and girls have accountability groups so to me it's just bizarre that men need accountability because they're potentially dangerous and evil, but women don't. My theology says that everybody's a sinner, that the effects of the fall of Genesis 3 affected both genders. Actually, the curses also affected both genders. The curses of the man, curses on women. But for some reason in evangelical churches today, the accountability group system is only about men. Why is that? Because it's a shaming community right? rather than one that is intended to point people to their sanctification. boys want to be good at stuff i talked about this already right and we got to put them in a position where they can see that they're good at something it builds their self-confidence and that can be sports it can be cooking food i mean it could be a, a playing instrument but every boy needs to know that he is good at something even jesus think about this right Even jesus excelled at being a construction worker before he entered into public ministry so self-mastery and being good at something being good at something is is super super critical and as i said earlier what i've seen over the years is that self-confidence is actually the birthplace of wisdom they just will not care if they make the right decision that they will get rejected by some group they will not care and the guys i've seen who care always fall because they care more about rejection. Than doing the right thing. So self confidence is critical and key. So every time a young man walks to my office, I ask him about this verse here, first John 2 14, and I ask him, Do you believe this is true of you or not? I ask him on a scale of one to 10, Where's your self confidence? And if he says anything less than 10, I sit him down and open up the Bible. Because the Bible says for men who are followers of Christ, who belong to the Father, who are being sanctified by the spirit says this, I write to you young men, because you are strong, you are strong, the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. So a boy should graduate high school believing this, that he is strong, that the word of God lives in him and that he has already overcome the evil one because of the resurrection. So here's the point, if he does not believe this, he is weak and that weakness is gonna play itself out when he leaves home and goes to college or goes, goes to work. So if they don't believe they're confident, then if they don't have a high sense of self-confidence, I ask them, why don't they, when the Bible says that you should be extremely confident, you should say ten, because you are strong. The word of God lives in you. John 14 to 16. And you overcome the evil one. Why would you not be confident? So this is what they need. And I don't I don't know that churches are are doing this sort of work, at building a boy's self-confidence, right? Shaming them and coddling them is not building up their self-confidence at all. So in conclusion, if we want a deep faith, truly deep faith, it's formed by treating them like future adults instead of treating them like perpetual children. They need to have spiritual direction in terms of their conversation with their parents, especially their dads. What the data shows is that what parents need to do is they need to do the the work of apologetics, the work of of intersection, faith and culture in the conversation in the car, or at dinner, or on vacation, or walking down the street in the mall while they're shopping. That's what it happens. And and the reason why this is so important for parents is that kids are getting access to really complex ideas through the internet through their phones through their social media apps and the news and they can't wait until wednesday night to have some 25 year old talk about it for two minutes when they can't wait till sunday morning to have somebody talk about it for 30 minutes they need to have that conversation has got to be right there when it happens i saw a story recently of some fourth graders who are watching footage of dead bodies in ukraine what i'm not going to say is well hold on, kid, maybe some Sunday or some Wednesday night, somebody at church might talk about that. No, he needs to be able to talk about that with his parents with his mom and his dad. So those spiritual direction conversations need to happen with their with parents at home. That's what sustains faith and the data proves that emotional spiritual connection with their fathers teaching through failure. One of the things that a lot of guys tell me they're frustrated with is college guys, if their dad's never told them about their failures. In fact, I do know of a student recently who told me that his dad did share his failures and it completely changed his life and strengthened his faith. Now it's so interesting, right? It's just bizarre to me that dads won't share their failures with their sons, but we have an entire book of the Bible where God shares the failures of his own people with us. Again, if a model is God in Israel, his parenting model, not the discipleship model, but the God over Israel model, then it would make sense that a father would share his own struggles and failures with his son. That's what his son actually needs to hear. Again, spiritual direction one-on-one with an adult spiritual mentor and increased interaction with older adults. The quarantining of teens from the rest of the church, big church is failing and they do not like it. The nostalgia model from the eighties and seventies, eighties and nineties has to go down the toilet. They want high level, deep knowledge, knowing the gospel beyond knowing the gospel on a few doctrines. One deep frustration that my students have is that they don't know what the Bible teaches at all. They know the gospel, but if someone off the street asks them to point them to a verse that teaches on this topic or that topic, they can't do it. No idea what the Bible teaches on, on various things. Because they were just given, they're 18, 19, where they're given basic stuff from like, The kind of stuff a fifth grader would have or maybe a five year old not deep at all they may know apologetics but they don't know what the bible actually teaches practical skills for adult living and informed by scripture and tradition so marriage fatherhood career diet fitness personal finance the mechanics of sex how sex actually works physiologically and physically one of the things that i cannot believe happens is a lot of lads will tell me that their dad had one conversation with them about sex and never talked about it again. There's a great book called The Great Sex Rescue by Sheila Gregori and her team, and it's explicitly on the mechanics of sex and and why it's important for women and wives in marriage. I, I would recommend it for both boys and girls who are in high school to read that book with their parents. But they want to know about the mechanics of sex. And the week before he gets married is not the time to do that. I cannot tell you how many times guys have told me that a week before they're get married, their dad sits him down and talks about the mechanics of sex. Do you not understand that your boys are seeing the mechanics of sex all the time in pornography, in movies, on Instagram, on TikTok? They're exposed to the mechanics of sex. You need to be talking about those mechanics of sex with your sons. He wants to talk about those things with you, and you've got to have some courage and go there with them. Otherwise, he's going to think about and pattern those off of what he has seen, which introduces all sorts of uh, problems in marriages in, in the future. What they want, boys want extremely difficult, challenging, and strenuous circumstances that force deep theological conversations and reliance on god extremely difficult challenging and strenuous circumstances that force deep theological conversations and reliance on god they want depth and challenge not sugar and coddling and then lastly here do whatever you can do to build their self-confidence so one of the things that i've done at the king's college is to create a program for guys if they choose to do just this we're going to work on some practical skills. We're going to put them in challenging situations, We're going to work on some of those things. It's a four year program. I am fairly confident that no other college in the country is doing this. But one of the things I've said repeatedly and I will say again is that the King's College is a place where the boy crisis comes to die and that the men who come through this program are not going to repeat the sorts of things that, that we see uh, being represented in the day to day in terms of their own motivation and interest their self-confidence but also and their future imaginations of what it means to be parents and what it means for them to be fathers particularly fathers of sons so if we want different outcomes we've got to do things differently and this presentation i think is the beginning of that and one of the things i've said and i said this at the conference i will come to any church and talk about this and one of the things that has baffled a few of us for some time is that people like me have all this data, all this information. And then when we offer, Hey, we will come to your church to talk about this crickets. And one of the questions I have is why don't churches want to talk about this right here? Because this is what boys actually need. If we want different outcomes, I believe the church is the solution to the boy crisis, but it is not the solution if we simply are going to do what we did in 1997. I would also like to thank my Patreon supporters for their generous support of this project. If it were not for your generosity and support, this project would not be possible. You all are the most important part of this experience. Thanks to you all for joining us today on this episode of The Anthony Bradley Show. If you enjoyed it, please like, subscribe, and leave a comment on the various platforms where the podcast is heard. And I look forward to engaging you again here at the King's College in New York City on The Anthony Bradley Show.